It is good to be back home. Um, I just spent this week and much of this week in uh, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, at their annual, the, the Urbana Vineyards annual uh, More Love, More Power conference. Wow, um, what an incredible time of gathering with 1,200 people who are there for one reason, and that is to press into God, to lean into God, and to worship Him with passion, and, and uh, I mean, just, it was incredible. I would try to write this down, try to remember this, but, I, but if you can get there next year, they held this every year at this time. If you can get there at all next year, I would do whatever I could to get there. Registration's already open, in fact. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it was incredible. I mean, the power and the passion of 1,200 people that come for the purpose of worshiping and come for the purpose of, of pressing into God was absolutely incredible. And then when it came time for ministry and praying for people, the one session, the first session, was it yesterday morning? Yes, yesterday morning was so powerful. I don't know when I've experienced the just the power in the room like I did then. It was absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, it was, I saw God do some amazing things. Uh, a couple of the testimonies that came through, there was a woman that um, had been suffering from migraines for 50 years. And uh, she received prayer, received healing, and went back to something that, that, that uh, happened to her uh, like 50 years earlier and got healing for that and was, was healed of the migraines. There was another woman who was in a, a car accident and her hips, if I had got it right, her hips had rotated. Um, and the result of the accident was one leg was about one inch shorter than the other one. And uh, they prayed for her, and she said her leg, she, she felt her leg, she saw her leg, you know, the, the short one grow out, wouldn't do any good for the long one to grow out, but the short one grew out, <laughs> and she said, I mean, she was just like, she said for the first time in years, in several years, you know, since the accident, she was able to stand with both legs together with, uh, comfortably without having to bend one knee. Both of them straight. It was it was incredible. And there were you know a number of other things that that went on, but it was the, uh, it was such a great time of of just experiencing God's presence and experience His power, being able to worship with passion. I mean, we sang at the t- worshipped with the, at the top of our lungs. Um, it was it was incredible. But I'm I'm glad to be back home because you know as credible as experiences like that are. There's nothing like being home with our own vineyard family. I mean, it's, it's, it's worshiping with you guys is incredible. And Rich, you pulled out, you started us off with my all-time favorite. I love the new stuff. You know, I gravitate much more toward the, 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 the you know, I like to hear what God's doing fresh in the body of Christ. And those are the fresh song that he's releasing, songs that he's releasing in that. And that's great. But my all-time favorite is the old hymn, Holy holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. And there's just, the second that starts, I just, 
I'm there. I'm standing before the throne of God worshiping. So thank you for that. That was awesome. Um, that was uh, that is my all time favorite. Um, then I like jump around with the new stuff too. It's like yes. Um, anyway, um, I, uh, yeah. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Anyway, oh, I'm sorry. They're not. They're not ruby red. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's get serious. We are in week three of our series, The Vow. We're talking about marriage, specifically about four vows that we can take that will strengthen our marriage and not only help it to survive because, you know, in, the, in this broken world, but to thrive. I don't want my marriage to just survive. You know, I want it to thrive. I want it to be everything that it can be, everything that God designed it to be. I want to experience the full gift that God has, has created it to be. So, you know, that's, that's what we're talking about. We're looking at four vows. The first vow we looked at is, I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. We talked about the importance of keeping our, our priority is straight and keeping God first in everything. He comes first in everything, in everything. And then our spouse is our second priority above jobs, above career, above uh, uh, other family members, you know, above kids. Our spouse is our second priority. And then the second vow, first one is I promise God will be my first and my spouse will be my second. The second one then is I promise always to, I promise to always pursue my two. I promise to always pursue my two, and the two being your spouse. God's first, spouse is second. So always to pursue my two. We never stop pursuing our spouse. It doesn't stop once you hear, you know, you both say I do, I do, and then all of a sudden you don't. You know, it doesn't stop then. You always pursue. You continue to pursue with words of affection, with words of affirmation, always reaffirming your love and letting your spouse know that, that you believe in them and that. So, so always, you know, I will always pursue my two. It's not going to stop. Today we're looking at vow number three, which is I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. Marriage is not about me. It's about we. It's about the both of us. And once again, we're turning to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24. It says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Look at the, I want you to look at the word one flesh. First of all, take out your outline and I believe on your outline, uh, it says united, and then it says ekad, completely joined as one. Is that right? Okay. I want you to cross out the word united. That was last week's word. And write the word one. Write the word one. That's, that's what we're looking at. Um, uh, it was a mistake when I sent it to Susie on the outline, so, and it was printed up before I was able to get it changed. So anyway, um, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one. They become a cod flesh, one flesh. Um, so uh, it, it, it's completely joined as one, completely joined as one. Jesus quoted 
this same verse when he spoke about marriage in Matthew 19. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When the scripture says the two will become one flesh, it's talking about the physical union, but it's talking about so much more than that. It includes that, but, you know, we are more than just physical beings. In fact, you know, we are not primarily physical beings. We are primarily spiritual beings. We, but we are beings, we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And all three are interconnected. The husband and the wife become echad, completely joined as one. When that happens, there is a joining together at the physical level, at the soul level, and at the spirit level. There's a joining of all three, and it's, the, 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 it's, a, it's a beautiful picture of the intimacy that happens in marriage. Intimacy is more than just physical intimacy. It's talking about an intimacy of soul and spirit as well. You know, and that's why you know, God says that a sexual relationship is reserved solely for marriage. Not outside of marriage. It's reserved solely for marriage. There's more, so much more than just the physical union. You're joining your soul and your spirit to that person as well. And that can have long-term consequences in your soul and spirit. When you join sexually with someone, you join your spirit to theirs. And when you join your spirit to another spirit, you're also joining to whatever is attached to their spirit. And, and think about, have you ever seen the, uh, the chart in a, in a doctor's office talking about, you know, one person, you know, has sex with, with another one, and um, then it's like every, you know, it, it keeps multiplying down and down and down, and, and, you know, it's like, in this culture of ours, there's a whole lot of people connected to a whole lot of people. You know, because that's, that's what happens. That there's a, a, a spiritual union that takes place as well. And the consequences are, uh, can, can really be uh, damaging. Now, so God knows what he's talking about when he says sexual activity is to be reserved within the boundaries of marriage between husbands and wives. It's not that it's a bad thing. It's that it's reserved for that relationship, and it's that special in the marriage relationship. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's reserved for the boundaries of husbands and wives, but that's not what the world tells us. Our world's, the message that the world tells us is if it feels good, do it, and do it as much as you want and with whomever you want. Isn't that the message we're getting? Both outright and subtly. It's what our culture is is telling us. Now, I want to talk about something. I want to say something here that I wasn't originally planning on talking about or saying. Um, And that's about the whole topic of how gay marriage and homosexuality comes into this because I, I, I feel like I need to. Anybody that's watching the news this week is most, uh, most likely aware that the United Methodist Church held their general council this week. 
and after much debate and, and, and voting and so forth, it was all over the news that they voted to uphold the traditional biblical position that marriage is between a man and a woman, all right? United Methodist Church, General Council, that was their decision. In 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court decided that gay marriage is legal in the United States, and it has become the law of the land, right? Anybody living under a rock has, does not, is not aware of that. Okay, you know that. But I want to say this. For Christians, and I'm not going to get into a, a long thing on this a few minutes, but for Christians, it's not the Supreme Court that decides what is allowed or not allowed for a believer. They may say this is okay in our society, in our government, in our cities and states. They may say it's okay. But for a Christian, the Supreme Court does not hold the decision on what is allowed or not allowed for a believer. The Bible is our sole authority for matters of faith and practice, not the government, all right? The government is free to decide whatever they want to decide. They can make whatever laws they make, but when there is a conflict of, uh, between the government and what God says, we choose, as a believer, we choose a higher law, we choose what God says. Now, Having said that, what does God say? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I challenge you to do. Read the Bible. Search it out for yourself. I mean, yes, there are difficult parts of the Bible to understand. This isn't one of them. Read it for yourself. I've read it through every year for the last probably 25 years. So I've done a little bit of reading in it, okay? I just want you to search out two questions. I'll give you two questions to search out, okay? One, when Jesus talks about marriage, is there any place at all where he talks about marriage as being other than, anything other than between a man and a woman? Anywhere at all. Read it, search it out, study it, see if it's there, okay? Even one, even one time, see if it's there. Search it and see. Second question, and, and you know, I've read all the arguments that, well, this word really means this, and they were really talking about this. I've, I've read all the arguments. I've read the books, both pro and con, um, read through all of it. But here's a question. Is there anywhere in the Bible, Old or New Testament, either place, where homosexuality is spoken of in a positive light as something permissible by God? Is there anywhere? Is there one place? I'm not talking about, well, this passage really means this, and the whole issue with Sodom and Gomorrah was, was really the lack of, of, you know, their hospitality and so forth, which that is part of it and, and, and all that. But is there anywhere spoken of in an Older New Testament where in a positive light 
as permissible by God. One verse. That's just, 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 if there is, find it. Search it and see for yourself. So, how are we to approach the issue of those who struggle with same-sex attraction? How are we supposed to approach that issue? The same way we always have here at the Vineyard, with love. With love. Not with fear, not with jokes, not with condemnation, not with judgment, but with love. John 3.16, you may have heard of this verse before, says, For God, Jesus speaking, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved who? The straight world? The world looks like you or like me? No. God so loved the world in all of its brokenness, in all of its struggles. He so loved the world. And then, you know, I think it's a shame that we so often quote John 3.16 without going to John 3.17. Because John 3.17, the very next verse, Jesus says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, tell the world how bad they were, how rotten they were, he did not come to condemn the world at all. What did he do when, when the woman was caught in adultery and she was thrown before him? You know, and of course, the guy got off scot-free. Things haven't changed a whole lot in our culture, I guess. But the guy got off scot-free and, and the woman's there and they're saying the law says we should stone her. You know, all that. what do you say? They're trying to trap him. He writes on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. There's speculation, but it's all, that's all it is, speculation. And then, you know, finally, he stands up, says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. Scoot stoops back down again, one by one, starting with the oldest. Because the older they are, probably the worse... They had been, I mean, more, more opportunity. You know, I've had a whole lot more opportunity to screw up my life in my 62 years than some of you that are 20, you know. Um, but, but, you know, they start walking away. They drop their stones and walk away. And Jesus looked up at the woman. It was just him and her. Said, Where's your, where, where'd your accusers go? Is there nobody that's condemning you? She said, no. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Because I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to point you to life, to God. I'm here to bridge the gap between you and the Father so that you can get in relationship with the Father, and it's through me. We are here to love God and love people, not condemn. Doesn't mean that we condone everything. Loving does not mean that 
oh, I condone whatever you want to do is fine with, with God and fine with me and all that. No, but we don't stand in condemnation or in judgment. We stand in love. None of us are perfect people. And we're to love, not, not people that, you know, are just like us or think like us or believe like us or act like us. We're to love all people. Let God deal with people's stuff. Just like he deals with my stuff and just like he deals with your stuff. Every one of our lives are broken in, in, in whatever area. And one area is not worse than another. Every one of our lives are broken and, and, you know, any, every one of, our, uh, one of us has areas in our lives where we're not fully experiencing what God has for us. And this is the same. There was a woman who was struggling with this that, that came a number of years ago. Lived out of town, but whenever she was in town, uh, she would come to church here. And she came up after service one of the, one of the, uh, uh, one of the days, and gave me one of the best compliments any, everyone's ever anyone's ever given me and this church, I think. And that is, she said, you know, because I knew what she struggled with, and she said, you know, I struggle with this. And I said, yeah. She goes, but I want you to know, you're my pastor, and I consider this my church, even though she lived out of town and could only come periodically. And this is my church, because when I come here, I know I'm loved, and accepted even though we disagree on this, I know that I'm loved here and I'm accepted here. I don't, can't think of hardly any other compliment that somebody could give us as a church because it says you get it. You get the heart of the gospel. Loving doesn't mean agreeing with everybody and just, you know, anything goes. Loving means I see your, your, your struggles, I see your issues, I, I, I see our disagreements, but I love you, and I'm here for you. All right, um, back to our focus for today. Um, Many people treat marriage like it's a contract between two people. You know, it's just like, well, marriage is a contract. Talking about the marriage contract. That's, that, that's the thinking behind a prenuptial agreement, right? Prenuptial agreement, I'm going to protect myself in case this contract doesn't work out. If it doesn't work out, I'm taking out everything that I brought into it. So actually, that never means they never really bring it into the marriage. They just kind of bring it this far, but, but that's it. Um, um, I hate prenups. You know, I hate the, the thought of that. Uh, uh, but, but marriage in a biblical sense is more than just a contract. It's a covenant between two people. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And there is a difference. You see, a contract is based on mutual distrust. Mutual distrust. A contract of, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, that you're signing, it's, it, you're signing it because you really don't trust the other person is going to do what they say they're going to do. You're signing a legally binding paper that stipulates what each of you agree to do so that if and when one of you doesn't live up to the agreement, they can be sued. You rent an apartment, you sign a contract that says you're going to pay X dollars a month and you're not going to tear up the place, right? You, and the, the landlord agrees to keep everything in working order, and he you know, says that he won't, read it to, uh, won't rent it to someone else while you're living there. 
things like that, and you both agree to that, just so you sign it so that you have something to go back on when the other one doesn't fulfill their part of the deal. It's based on mutual distrust. Um, um, but, you know, so, so you know, because you really don't, don't trust each other, you have to put it in writing. Covenant, on the other hand, a covenant is, is based on mutual commitment. It's more than an agreement. It's a mutual commitment that each fully expected that they would live up to. Each one fully expects themselves and the other is going to live up. It's a mutual commitment. One flesh is more than just the physical aspects of marriage. It's a total union and commitment of the husband and wife in the marriage. You know, the word covenant is berith, and it literally means, literally means cutting, a binding agreement, a blood covenant. And I read somewhere where sometimes a man and a woman, when they were married, they would literally cut into the hand of each, uh, of, each of them and join their hands together to mingle their blood as a sign of the covenant of that mutual agreement that it was taken that seriously. See, whereas a contract says, okay, we got an agreement. I'm in this deal as long as you're into it. I'm in as long as you're in. That's, that, that, that's a contract. A covenant says, I'm in this 100%. From this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. So help me, God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That is a covenant of marriage. A binding agreement. I am in this 100%. It's not 50-50. It's not even 75-25. It's 100 and 100. Or rather, it's 110% and 110%. You're in it all the way. And it's I'm in this all the way regardless of what you do with your end of it. Not as long as you're in it, I'm in it, but regardless of what you do, I am in this 100%, and it's until we're separated by death. It's not about me. It's about we. So much stronger than a contract. It's a covenant partnership. And the third, so the third vow we take is, I promise our marriage will be about we, not me. So, what does this partnership look like? Covenant partnership is summarized with godly leadership and mutual submission. We're going to spend the last few minutes talking about this because it's so important and it is so often misunderstood. As soon as you mention the word submission in the context of marriage, you get an image of a dictatorial husband and a subservient wife who's maybe one step up from a doormat, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. So I want you to clear your minds of those images, because that is not true. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 and see what it really says. Who brought their Bibles with them? Anybody have an actual Bible, paper Bible? Lift it up. You got it. Okay. Um, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Because we're going to look at, at, at Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to look at chapter 5, verse 21. And read it aloud with me. I'm in the NLT, and you may be in another translation. That's okay, because it's going to read pretty much the same. 
Ephesians 5.21, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, who has a translation other than the NLT? Susie, what do you have? Oh, that may be a little more difficult. Um, okay, okay. Now, I look at look at the verse twenty-one. Which paragraph does it go to? Do they put it with the one before or the one after? The one before. Anybody else have another translation? Yeah. What do you have? Okay, good, good. Now, what translation? <laughs> NIV. Where do they put that verse? With the paragraph before or the paragraph after? Before? So it's the last one that word before. Okay. Does anybody else have a translation where they put that in the, para the, the where that starts off the paragraph rather than ends it? See, this is something that Bible scholars have not known what to do with verse 21 over the years. Some translations, it finishes off the, ver the, the paragraph, you know, uh, uh, the, it comes at the end of the paragraph before. Some translations, it starts off a new paragraph, and it goes from there. I, I, I like the way the NLT treats it. It puts it with the following paragraph, and for this reason, if you look at the context of the following paragraph, you know, 2022 20, and that, it seems to fit better in the context with that uh, uh, as an introduction to the next paragraph rather than a closing to the previous one. But so let's, I want to go ahead and read verses 21 through 25. It starts off, I'm reading from the NLT where it puts it with the following paragraph. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and he gave, his li gave up his life for her. Now... I think that's important that to put it, to see it as part of that second paragraph there because it's talking about mutual submission. Where he says, submit to one another. Okay? And the fact that where it says in verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your... The word submit in verse 22 isn't actually there. It's implied in the original language. So that would lean more toward verse 21 going with that paragraph. So for wives, it means this. And then in verse 25, for husbands, it means this. It is a mutual submission. This is not talking about a dictator and unquestioning, unconditional obedience. It's not talking about women not being allowed to lead men. This is talking about an issue of, of submission and leadership in the home. 
And it's simply saying in the home, the husband takes the lead and the wife follows his lead as to the Lord. Nobody is superior. Nobody is inferior. It's voluntary. It's not a forced submitting. If you've got a husband that says, you submit to me, he's, he's blown it out already. He's wrong. It is not a force. It is a voluntary submitting. Nobody superior, nobody inferior, and it's simply letting the, the husband take the lead in the home. That's the picture that we have here, <coughs> excuse me, as the Lord leads the church. So when, when t Paul talks about submitting to each other, he's talking about mutual submission. For the wife, it looks like this. Let your husband take the lead. Doesn't mean that he's always right. Nor does it mean that he makes all the decisions or all the big ones even. In fact, the husband, guys hear this, the husband who makes all the decisions in the home without seriously consulting and listening to his wife is a fool. You can write that down in all caps. Is a fool especially, I mean, typically wives have, have discernment about some things, especially when it comes to people. That their, you know, their, their, their husbands would do, do well to consider. Women have a, 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 just the ability and, and a, a gift of discernment, and it's especially true when it comes to people that, that guys, you better listen to your wife. The husband that doesn't taking into consideration his wife's voice, his wife's opinion, what his wife's thoughts, is a fool. Um, so, uh, the husband, so that's the wife, let the husband take the lead. The husband, on the other hand, is to love his, his, his wife as Christ loved the church. And, and I think we talked about that last week. That's sacrificially, giving himself up for his wife. He's sacrificially, you know, loving his wife and to lead as Jesus leads the church. Now, let me ask you something. How is how did Jesus lead? He led by serving. Serving. Jesus modeled servant leadership. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus modeled serving when he washed the disciples' feet. See, we tend to get it backwards. We think of wives submitting the, to, the, to the husband, so the thought usually comes to mind of, of you know, just you know, obeying everything the husband says and, 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 and serving his every whim. I mean, the old stereotypical husband comes home after a hard day at work, sits in his recliner, props up his feet, and the wife comes along with the, you know, takes off his shoes, puts on his slippers, puts his pipe in his mouth, and, you know, all, you know that picture? You know that picture? I, I, I watched Dick Van Dyke's show recently, I, one of the best shows ever made, uh, uh, and, and, and that. And, and they had, you know, Rob, was go, Rob Petrie was going into a, a, this dream state, and, and, you know, he was dreaming of when it was the good old days back then, and, and you know, the, uh, Laura Petrie was there just, you know, was cowering, you know, uh, uh, look, look like, you know, Cinderella mopping a floor kind of a deal, you know. And, 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 you know, the, the, she was going to go out and get the, the wood from, you know, in the, in the, uh, for the fireplace. And she was going to go out and get the wood in the, in the cold, in the snow. And she's going to get on her coat. What do you need a coat for, a woman? Just to, I mean, that whole kind of thing. 
Yeah, that we wouldn't be talking about divorce. We'd be talking about murder, you know. Uh, anybody did that today. But, I mean, and it came back. He was glad, you know, woke up and he was glad it wasn't like that. But, I mean, that's the picture that so often comes to people's mind when they, you know, but it's, it's, it's totally backwards. The husband is there. He leads in the home and he leads by serving. He leads by serving. Simply talking about, you know, submitting to the husband, to, to, the, to, the, to the leadership in the home as the husband lovingly and sacrificially leads by serving his wife. That's what leadership in the kingdom of God looks like. Not demanding, but serving. Mark 10, Jesus is talking to disciples and he says, he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And then he says, not so with you. It's different with you. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you, just be your servant. Be your servant. That's the kind of leader the husband should be in the home, one that leads by serving, not by demanding to be served. And a Christian marriage is a partnership of two equals who are fully committed to each other, where with, with each fulfilling their respective roles by mutually submitting to each other with love and respect. That's a Christian marriage. Neither one is demanding their way. Both are more concerned about the other. Think of Jesus in relation to his bride, the church. See, the problem is a lot of times we see Jesus as a demanding God, demanding this and demanding that. And, you know, God is, you know, he, he's just a hard taskmaster, and that's not it at all. See, we've got to get away from this picture of, you know, what, unfortunately, what some of the church has taught through the years, but also from a secular model of marriage. And we've got to return to a biblical model, and that's one of mutual submission, godly leadership. Okay, we're going to close with this. Got a question for you. You can just, you know, write it down and 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 kind of think about this week. True or false? True or false? True or false? A marriage will be as good as both husband and wife decide it will be. True or false? Write it down. Think about this week. A marriage will be as good as both husband and wife decide it will be okay then I want you to ask yourself something what decisions do you need to make today that will improve your current or future marriage by future marriage I'm talking to those who are not currently married just to clarify, you know, if, if you're not married, God may or may not have that for you, you know. 
it's as we said I think last week or a week before whenever it was that you know it's not you know it's not like you can't live a fulfilled life and a meaningful life as as a single person you can Paul showed us that Jesus showed us that all right but if you are going to get married someday what decision do you need to make today that will improve your current or future marriage? Think about it. Think about it this week and then write it down. See, if you, wanna, if you want a better marriage, <coughs> you need to begin to do something different. All right? Let's have the worship team come up. <laughs> um. I want to pray again. I did this last week, and I want to do it this week, too. I want to pray over marriages because there's a lot of stuff in this, in this world that we live in that is set out to destroy marriages and to attack them. If you're not aware of that, you need to be. Now, we don't walk in fear. We walk in faith. You know, I have more faith in God's ability to heal, restore, and sustain than I do in the enemy's ability to destroy. But we still need to be aware that we are engaged in a battle. Cultural battle, societal battle, personal battles. So, close your eyes. If you're married, just want you to hold your hands out or hope to be married or think you might be married someday. <laughs> just hold your hands out. I want to pray a blessing. Father, I pray right now and ask for your Holy Spirit to bring a blessing on marriages in this place. Those that are currently married and those that hope to be or think they might be. Marriages that are currently in place or those that are in the future. I pray your blessing. I pray your strength. I pray your sustaining power. I pray that there would be a spirit of such unity in the home. Such unity, Lord. And that when the fights come, that it would not be a fight between the husband and his wife, but they would turn back to back and fight the enemy coming from all sides. As they become one flesh, completely united, body, soul, and spirit, bless that union, guard that union, And let no power of hell come along and separate.
Now keep your eyes closed. But I want to pray now for those that have suffered the pain and the trauma of a marriage that didn't work. You wanted it to work. You went into it thinking this is going to work, but for whatever reason, it didn't. Hold out your hands. And whether you're in an, another marriage and it may be going really good right now and, and that or, 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 or not, I just, Father, I pray right now and ask for a healing to take place from the pains and the hurts and the trauma. Bring your healing presence. Heal the broken hearts, broken spirits, the pain of the soul, and restore hope. pray that you would show each one themselves as you see them. Not as something that's broken and cast aside or limping along, but as one that's fully restored. One that brings joy to your heart. One that you celebrate and you celebrate the day they were born. And you have not stopped celebrating them and celebrating their life, Lord, since for, for every single day of their lives, you celebrate them. Regardless of things that have happened, regardless of choices, regardless of any of that, you celebrate them, Lord, because they're loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.